Chapter Fourteen of Some Eminent Women of Our Times. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. Some Eminent Women of Our Times by Millicent Garrett Fawcett. Chapter Fourteen Elizabeth Gilbert. Elizabeth Gilbert, daughter of the Bishop of Chichester, was one of the blind who help the blind. It is true, physically, that the blind cannot lead the blind, but perhaps none are so well fitted as the blind who are gifted with courage, sympathy, and hope, to show the way to careers of happy and active usefulness to those who are suffering from a similar calamity with themselves. The bishop's little daughter, born at Oxford in 1826, was not blind from birth. She is described in the first years of infancy as possessing dark flashing eyes that no doubt were eager to see and know as other baby eyes. Her sight was taken from her by an attack of scarlet fever when she was two years and eight months old. Her mother had lately been confined, and consequently was entirely isolated from the little invalid. The care of the child devolved upon her father, who nursed her most tenderly, and by his ceaseless watchfulness and care probably saved her life. But when the danger to life was past, it was found that the poor little girl had lost her sight. Everything was done that could be done. The most skilful oculists and physicians of the day were consulted but could do nothing except confirm the fears of her parents that their little girl was blind for life. With this one great exception of blindness, Elizabeth Gilbert's childhood was peculiarly happy and fortunate. Her parents wisely determined to educate her as much as possible with their other children, and to avoid everything which could bring into prominence that she was not as the others were. There was a large family of the Gilbert children, and Bessie, as she was always called, like the others, was required to dress herself and wait on herself, in many little ways that bring out a child's independence and helpfulness. She used to sit always by her father's side at dessert, and pour him out a glass of wine, which she did very cleverly without spilling a drop. When asked how she could do this, she replied it was quite easy. She judged by the weight when the glass was full. She learnt French, German, Italian, and music with her sisters, and joined them in their games, both indoors and out. When she required special watching and care, they were given silently, without letting her find out that she was being singled out for protection. When she was old enough, the direction of the household and other domestic duties were entrusted to her in her parents' absence, in turn with her other sisters. Thus her ardour, self-reliance, and courage were undampened, and she was prepared for the life's work to which she afterwards devoted herself, the industrial training of the adult blind. In 1842 an event happened which doubtless had a good effect in developing Miss Gilbert's natural independence of character, which had been so carefully preserved by her parents' training. Her godmother died and left her a considerable sum of money of which she was to enjoy the income as soon as she came of age. It was therefore in her power to carry out the scheme which she formed in after years for the benefit of the blind, 
without being obliged to rely at the outset on others for pecuniary support. She never could have done what she did if she had been obliged to ask her parents for the money the development of her plans necessarily required. They were most kindly and wisely generous to her, but it would have been impossible to one of her honorable and sensitive nature to spend freely and liberally, as she did, money which was not her own. The saddest and most desponding period of her life was that which came after she had ceased to be a child, and before she had taken up the life's work to which reference has just been made. She was one of a bevy of eight sisters, and they naturally, as they passed from childhood to womanhood, entered more and more into a world which was closed to their blind sister. At that time, more than now, marriage was the one career for which all young women were consciously or unconsciously preparing. It was hard for a young girl to live in a social circle in which marriage was looked upon as the one honorable goal of female ambition, and to feel at the same time that it was one from which she herself was debarred. Those who saw her at this time say she would often sit silent and apart in the drawing-room of her father's house in Queen Anne Street, with the tears streaming down her face, and that she would spend hours together on her knees weeping. To the righteous there ariseth a light in darkness. The light-bringers to the sad heart of Bessie Gilbert were manifold, and, as is usual in such cases, the light of her own life was found in working for the welfare of others. The most healing and cheering of words to those who are sick at heart are, Come and work in my vineyard. Small things often help great ones, and a clever mechanical invention by a Frenchman named Foucault, for enabling blind people to write, was not an unimportant link in the chain that drew Miss Gilbert out of her despondency. By means of this writing frame she entered into correspondence with a young blind man named William Hanks Levy, who had lately married the matron of the St. John's Wood School for the Blind. Levy entered with great zeal, enthusiasm, and originality into all the schemes Miss Gilbert began to form for the welfare of the blind. Her thoughts were further turned in the direction of working for the blind poor by a book called Meliora, written by Lord Ingestra, the aim of which was to show how the gulf between rich and poor could be bridged over. But most important of all, perhaps, of the influences that were making a new outlook for her life was her friendship with Miss Bathurst, daughter of Sir James Bathurst. This lady was deeply interested in all efforts to raise up and improve the lot of women, and especially devoted herself to opening the means of higher education to them. She was one of those who hoped all things and believed all things, and consequently she rebelled against the impious notion that if a woman were not married there was no use or place for her in the world. It was her clear, strong faith in women's work and in women's worth that helped more than anything else to give dignity, purpose, and happiness to Bessie Gilbert's life. The life of the blind girl became ennobled by the purpose to work for the good of others, and to help both women and men who were afflicted similarly with herself, to make the best use of their lives that circumstances permitted. Very little, comparatively, at that time had been done for the blind. The excellent college at Norwood did not exist. The poor blind very frequently became beggars. 
and the well-to-do blind, with few exceptions, were regarded as doomed to a life of uselessness. In some instances, as in Miss Gilbert's own, kindly and intelligent men thought it neither wrong nor unnatural to express a hope that the Almighty would take the child who was afflicted with blindness. What was especially needed at the time Miss Gilbert's attention was directed to the subject was the means of industrial training to enable those who had lost their sight in manhood or womanhood to earn their own living. The proficiency of the blind in music was well known, but to attain a high degree of excellence in this requires a training from early childhood. To those who become blind in infancy a musical education affords the best chance of future independence, but thousands become blind in later life, when they are too old to acquire professional skill as musicians, and besides these there are those who are too completely without the taste for music to render it possible for them to become either performers or teachers of it. It was especially for the poor adult blind that Miss Gilbert laboured. She studied earnestly to discover the various kinds of manual labour in which the blind stood at the least disadvantage in comparison with sighted persons. Her efforts had a humble beginning for the first shop she opened was in a cellar in Holborn, which she rented at one shilling sixpence a week. She was ably seconded by Levy, and by a blind carpenter named Farrar. The cellar was used as a store for the mats, baskets, and brushes made by blind people in their own homes. A move was, however, soon made to a small house near Brunswick Square, but the work soon outgrew these premises also and a house was taken, with a shop and workrooms, in what is now the Euston Road. Miss Gilbert exerted herself assiduously to promote the sale of the articles made by her clients. The goods were sold at the usual retail price, and their quality was in many respects superior to that of similar goods offered in ordinary shops. In this way a regular circle of customers was in time obtained, who were willing to buy of the blind what the blind were able to produce. It must not be supposed, however, that this process, which sounds so easy and simple in words, was really easy or simple in practice. The blind men and women had to be taught their trades. In the case of many of them their health was below the average, and in the case of a few they were not quite clear that working had any advantages over begging for a living. Miss Gilbert and her foreman W. Levy had industrial, physical, and moral difficulties to contend with that would have daunted any who were less firmly grounded in the belief in the permanent usefulness of what they had undertaken. Miss Gilbert found that many of the blind people she employed could not, even with the best will in the world, earn enough to support themselves. The deficiency was for years made up from her own private means. W. Levy had what appears a mistaken enthusiasm for employing none but blind persons in the various industries carried on in the workshop. There are some industrial processes for performing which blindness is an absolute bar, some in which it is a great disadvantage, others in which it is a slight disadvantage, and a few in which it is no disadvantage at all. The aim of those who wish to benefit the blind should be, in my judgment, to promote cooperation of labor between the blind and the seeing, so that the blind may be left those processes in which the loss of sight places them at the least disadvantage. 
the blind milton composed paradise lost and other noble poems which will live as long as the english language lasts he never could have done this if the mechanical labor of writing down his compositions had not been given over to those who had the use of their eyes this is an extreme instance but it may be taken as an example of the way in which the blind and the seeing should work together each doing the best their natural faculties and limitations fit them for levy had an intense pride in having everything in miss gilbert's institution done only by the blind so far did he carry this prejudice that it was only with difficulty that he was induced to have a seeing assistant for keeping the accounts previous to this as was natural and inevitable they were in the most hopeless confusion levy was however in many ways an invaluable leader and fellow worker his courage and his energy were boundless on one occasion he undertook successfully a journey to france in order to discover the place where some pretty baskets were made he and his wife landed at calais almost entirely ignorant of the french language and knowing nothing except that certain baskets for which there was then a good demand in england were being manufactured in one of the eighty-nine departments of france after many wanderings both accidental and inevitable he discovered the place he was received with great kindness by the people who made the baskets and having learnt how to make them himself he returned to england to communicate his knowledge to his and miss gilbert's company of blind workpeople a letter of levies to miss gilbert describing a fire that had broken out close to the institution and had for some time placed it in great danger is a wonderful instance of a blind man's energy and power of acting promptly and courageously in the face of danger little by little the work miss gilbert had begun grew and prospered a regular society was formed of which the queen became the patron and of which miss gilbert was the most active and devoted member this association received the name of the society for promoting the general welfare of the blind its present habitation is in berners street london its founder for several years before her death was obliged through ill health to withdraw from all active participation in its business but so well and so firmly had she laid the foundations that others were able to carry on what she had begun the society is one of the most useful in london for the poor adult blind because it provides them with industrial training according to their individual capacities and secures them as far as possible a constant and regular market for the goods they are able to produce the wages earned are in some cases supplemented by small grants and pensions are in several instances given to those blind men and women who have survived their power of work the result of miss gilbert's life has been to ameliorate very much the lot of the blind poor by substituting the means of self-supporting industry for the doles of alms which at one time were looked upon as the only means of showing kindness and pity to the blind miss gilbert herself was keenly sensible of the value and life-giving power of work surrounded as she had been from childhood with every care and kindness which loving and generous parents could suggest she yet found that when she began to work the change was like a passing from death to life the book from which all the facts and details in this sketch are taken elizabeth gilbert and her work for the blind by francis martin 
tells that soon after she began her work, one of her friends hoped she was not working herself to death. She replied with a happy laugh, Work myself to death? I am working myself to life. It is just this possibility of working to life that she has placed within the reach of so many blind men and women. Miss Gilbert's health was always very fragile. After 1872 she became by degrees a confirmed invalid, and after much suffering, born with exquisite patience and cheerfulness, she died early in the year 1885. End of chapter 14